0: Alright, so have you ever yeah, that was pretty good, huh? uh, Have you ever done this? And if you have, you are in good company. Uh, I, I've done this myself. And see, how do we know when we're doing it? Well, you usually know when you're doing it is when um, the intensity of your prayers and your petitions and your crying out to God does not equal the intensity of your thankfulness and your praise and your worship to God. That's usually when you know when you're off balance. So when, when you're in a bad shape, you're crying out to God. You're hitting, the, you're hitting your knees. Uh, you're emotional about it. But are you emotional about, about God's provision for your life? About his miracles? About him breaking through? About his blessings? About your friendships that you have? you thankful for that? Now, again, I, I do this all the time. And I, and I see this all the time. Now, I'll see God do little things in my life things that I've been praying about, and then I'll just chalk it up to coincidence. Or it's just not that big of a deal. Or it's like, eh, you know, I've been there, done that. Whoa, but it was a big deal when I was crying out to God, right? So we do this. So don't feel bad if you've done this yourself because the Apostle Paul, the great evangelist, changed the world. He struggled with the same thing. And we usually don't read. Uh, we usually read over that kind of stuff. But he struggled with the same thing. So we're going to be taking today a look at the book of Acts, Acts 18. And uh, if you want to get your Bibles out. We're going to read it. Last week I, I talked on um, Acts. I mean, sorry, First Corinthians 13. It was the love verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, if I speak with tongues of angels and don't have love, I'm nothing but a noisy, noisy, clanging symbol. I'm an idolater, basically. So uh, that verse is one of the most popular verses of of all time. You hear it at all the weddings you go to. You hear it at funerals. You hear entire sermon series preached on 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, Acts 18 is probably the least quoted uh, chapter and verse that we're going to be looking into. But I think it's important, and there's a lot of insight into it. This message is actually tooled, In geared for the seasoned saint, the the veteran of the Christian faith, it applies to everybody. It is applicable, but it's it's geared to the seasoned saint. All right, so those that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Acts eighteen verse one. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the evil emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Emphasis on the word trying, okay? Underline that. Make a mental note of the word trying to persuade When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue's uh, ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians uh, who heard him believed and were baptized. Okay, this is where you need to focus. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And turn that off, the Lord says. You turn right here. Verse 10 says, Thou shalt turn off your cell phone. Okay. For I am watching you. All right. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was pro of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews... Were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime. It would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. Leave me out of it. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the court, but Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. All right. So this is is, Luke is writing this part of Scripture. This isn't Paul writing. But last week we looked at Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And this is basically Luke's account of the history of what's going on. And then a quick recap of last week about what Corinth was like. Corinth was, was... horrible city. I mean, it was worse than Athens. It was worse than Philippi. It was even worse than Rome. It was, it, it was a massive world city. 750,000 people all crammed into, you know, four square miles. Africa probably had three and a half square miles. This little strip of land that connected two giant land masses. It had double ports. And so as we talked about last week, it was a very rich, it was a very wealthy city. it was new, it was extremely diverse, and it was highly sexualized. The temple of Aphrodite set up on the hill, and all the prostitutes, thousands of them came down every night and, and, and you know, showed off their wares. There, was, there were no rules in Corinth. It was a ruleless city. and it's just the great irony is is that we have Two major books in our Bible named after this city. How would you like to open up your Bible and read First and Second uh, Las Vegas? I mean, that—that's—that's that's the implication of this. I mean, wouldn't that feel kind of awkward? Because you've had this, you know, you know, you had this affection towards Corinthians, but that's—that is—it's—they were worse than people from Las Vegas. There was a term for it. The Romans called people that. Uh, that lived a prom- promiscuous, oversexed lifestyle. They called them Corinthianizers. So this is this is, this is the, the situation that Paul is in. And in and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we, we begin to see a, a snapshot of, of Paul's trepidation for going into this city. Keep in mind, he got beat up in Athens, nearly killed in Philippi, and now God's calling him to this city? The worst of the worst? So he... he he even says, it is through fear and trembling that I'm going to do ministry in this dark city, this spiritually dark city, through fear and trembling. And so we see, we see Paul begin to do his work. And the interesting point is he tries to reason to the Greeks and Jews. And the word is tries, and he fails, right? Right? So he has this this whole season of dryness, of of not really getting anywhere, of of just kind of stagnant spiritual progress. And he gives up on the temple. The the interesting thing that happens, I don't know if you caught this, but as soon as as he leaves the temple, he has both Jews and Corinthians immediately converted and baptized. This is the beginnings of the revival. This is, a huge, this is a huge amount of people and their families immediately turning to Jesus, turning to the gospel message that Paul is presenting. What is Paul's response to this miracle? If you, if you paid attention, if you read closely, it doesn't say what his response is, but we see what God does and how he talks. So we're going to take a look in depth at verse 9 and verse 10. Now, in, your, in my Bible, it's red. Is, your, is, this, is it red in your Bible? Okay, it is. You know what that means? It means that these are the actual words of Jesus. So what I'm going to imply here, well, let's read it real quick. Let's read it again. Do not be afraid. Remember? Remember Paul enters into his, into his mission with fear and trembling. And, and, and Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in the city. You know what's going on? Paul is afraid again. He just experienced a success. He had a huge spiritual success. And if I was making this stuff up myself, if I was writing the Bible, I wouldn't write it this way. You know how I would write it? I would say, oh, well, Paul, he, he finally converted, you know, these these Jews and a ton of these Corinthians and then, and then he praised and worshipped Jesus and gave a thank offering and jumped around and danced that's not what happens here does it this shows reality this book is real if they were making this up they wouldn't, they wouldn't show Paul's weakness in the midst of his success so what's going on here why isn't Paul over overfilled with joy about his spiritual success in this situation? Well, it's really not that uh, it's not that hard to understand because it is a reality. It's a natural reality that we all face. For those of you that, that, that serve the Lord, where Jesus is Lord of your life, and you are actively trying to seek and to serve, uh, this you've you've experienced this. If you haven't, you will. Um, but it, it's actually a natural human uh, experience. We all face it. Remember the day that you, that you graduated high school, right? It was, a, it was a great time, remember? How did you feel a week later? You, you, were, you were scared to death, right? And when, when I graduated college, I remember this vividly because I, I did have a job set up afterwards, but I remember just like it felt like the spiritual umbilical cord was cut. And I was on my own. And I experienced uh, a, a fear and actually a depression that I hadn't felt before. And I just graduated college, right? I should be on top of the world. I, I did I had a major milestone in my life. So why am I dealing with these emotions of, 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 of burnout and, and sadness? You know, what's going on inside of me? And so we all can, this is actually a human response to success. And when you have been plowing the field for a long time, when you've experienced a long season of drought and no fruit and nothing coming up, and then finally you get it, well, you're so tired, you're so worn out, you're so burnt out and numb that you can't even enjoy God's blessings in this season. You're, 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 you, can't, you can't enjoy what happened because you're just, you're numb to everything. And this is what Paul is experiencing in this season. He is burnt out. And it's just like the video. He doesn't see what God has done in front of him. He doesn't, he doesn't bless God. All right, now here we see something absolutely amazing that happens. Jesus encounters Paul once again in a dream. This is what he does. This is what God does for us. He pulls us back into vision for our lives. Okay, if you remember, this is, how, this is how Jesus got Paul's attention the first time. Paul was going a million miles an hour down a road on his way to Damascus. And Jesus encounters him and knocks him off his horse, and speaks directly to him, and gives him the, that vision for his life that he desperately needed. Well he does it again. He reintroduces Paul to his first love once again through a powerful vision. Say, "Paul, pay attention, listen to me." Now Paul set, him up, set himself up for this in a minute i 'll show you why. but this is what he does. So the first thing that God does to restore us, to, to get us out of this burnout feeling, is that he gives us a vision. That vision that he originally gave us the first time. He reconnects us to his first love. Okay? So, in uh, specifically, God's help comes. This is the, the first uh, point on your outline. God's help comes from, number one, the spirit working through a vision, Right? And the word. Spirit working through the vision and the word. Okay, now keep in mind, Paul is, he's a very smart guy. He was, he was a smart little Jewish boy that, um, that the rabbis picked out of the community because he was the top of his class. In fact, he was so smart that Gamaliel, the high priest, Said, I am going to take you under my wing, and you're going to be my. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to raise you up, and, and you're going to be running the whole show someday. He was very smart, very gifted. Paul knew the scriptures inside out. He knew it better than anybody else. He was a Pharisee. Now, that sounds negative, but the Pharisees knew their Bible. They had that thing memorized. And so this is, this is Paul. He knows the word of God intimately and intellectually. Yet when Jesus speaks to him, now we could have read over it very easily, but when Jesus speaks to him in this vision, he actually uses scripture. I don't know if you caught it. But he uses scripture to minister to Paul. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, and, and Paul's like, look, Jesus, I went to seminary. I know that verse. Right? Have you ever done that? I, I, it, uh, Paul, uh, Ed, can you bring up the Genesis verse? It's probably one of the first times that it was used. There it is. That, uh, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord your God, your father of Abraham. Do not be afraid. And then what? For I am with you. Okay. Jesus says to Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking, for I am with you. So he's framing Paul's situation with Scripture. Paul knows exactly what Jesus is saying, because Paul knows his Scripture. This is is throughout the whole Bible, right? Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Jeremiah, it's all throughout Jeremiah. Okay, so he uses Scripture to minister to Paul. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, Even though Paul knows this scripture, this is the freshly spoken word of God to Paul. And it is this time that it actually ministers to him. What's going on here is Jesus is in a counseling situation with Paul. Paul's allowed Jesus to come into his life so that he can comfort him, he can counsel him, and he can encourage him. And he's giving him the right words. Even though these words are very plain and very simple, this is what he needed to hear. And if I was to come up to Paul and say, don't be afraid, and for the Lord your God is with you, he'd be like, pfft. You know, those words have no life in them, Josh. But when Jesus speaks the word of, of God, it takes on life, and it begins to heal him. All right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, the second thing that God does to help us get out of this burnt-out feeling is that he begins to bring friends around us. Have you ever done this? God, I'm so lonely. I wish I had somebody to, to listen to me. I wish I had somebody to help me and guide me, you know. And then he brings your annoying neighbor over, and, right? And it's like, oh, just leave me alone. Can't you see I'm depressed? Can't you see I'm distraught? This, I, I need to be in my room by myself. I'm alone, right? Leave me alone. Oh, God, why am I so lonely? Bring somebody into my life, please. You know, it probably wasn't Paul's ideal situation to be a tent maker. There's probably a lot to this. But when Paul first enters Corinth, uh, he, he, he starts to work with his hands. He does his trade. Now, keep in mind, he was probably plucked from a, from a community that made tents. yet he was the gifted guy. Now, most little Jewish boys that get, get hand picked out because they're geniuses, they still, for some reason, let them maintain their trade. So, every rabbi usually had uh, the ability to, to continue to do something with their hands, or they still had some type of a trade of some sort. And so, Paul falls back on his trade, and this is an opportunity for him to meet. Priscilla and Aquila, two very special and powerful friends in his life. And they 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 make tents together. And it is in this environment that I believe Paul actually pours into these two. I don't think that they necessarily minister to him, with the exception of just not being alone, of just sitting around, you know, sitting around the table and making tents and talking and enjoying each other's presence. That's probably what was going on. If you continue to read the rest of 18, there's another young, brilliant man from Alexandria, Egypt. His name is Apollos, and he is he's probably smarter than Paul. And he knows the scriptures inside and out. He actually even understands the teachings of Jesus, and he is preaching the gospel message, but not quite right not quite right because he's still preaching the gospel message under the baptism of John the Baptist under the, under the message of repentance and he hasn't received the gospel message he's not preaching under the baptism of Jesus which is the message of the kingdom it is Priscilla and Aquila who instruct Apollos in I'm not we're not doesn't quite say what they did, but it was these two tent makers that opened up Apollos' eyes to be able to do ministry with spirit and in truth. We don't know what happened behind closed doors, but something special happened where knowledge and intellects got transformed and hypersped into something that was full of the spirit, done by, by two tent makers. Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't Instruct Apollos, so th- th- something very special happened in that community. Now, again, um, Paul is—he's—he's he's got his ministry, and then he's got his—you know—he's moonlighting job, right? So he's got two jobs, and he's a pastor, and so he's—he's he's got both jobs. So he's got you know, some, s- probably some you know financial support from his other cities and Corinth, maybe, and but he's probably completely relying on. The income from his tent makings and he's not getting anywhere in ministry because he's got one foot in and one foot out and if you paid attention the day that he devoted himself completely to the the teaching and and the testifying to the Greeks and the Gentiles was the time that he actually got the breakthrough that he was looking for but God did something else He brings in Silas and Timothy to come alongside of him. He continues to provide Paul with the fellowship and with the right people that he desperately needs, not only to continue his mission, but to encourage him in this dark night of the soul that he's going through right now. To encourage him, to lift him up. And church family, you have to have that. You have to have it. You have to have people in your life that are your friends, that are believers, that you can have God conversations with that will help you in your ministry, that will help you serve. Don't serve alone. And that's what Paul was doing. He was serving alone. He was relying on his own abilities to make it by making tents, and he wasn't completely trusting in the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay, so you have to look out for who God brings into your life. They're going to encourage you to go all in. That's how you know that they're your friends. All right, and then the next thing that God does when he provides is he gives us providential protection. Okay, providential protection. Now, if anybody was was afraid to go into a a spiritually hostile environment, it would be Paul because he's got a lot of experience of getting beat up. And so he's like... Like, oh great, they're calling me into court again I know how this is going to go down this is, this is the introduction to my beating This is the formal introduction for me getting a whooping here And uh, so he, he's going in And I'm going to go there Because Paul put himself In an environment where the Lord Could minister to him in an intimate way through a dream and through a vision and said, don't be afraid. He says, listen, son, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Well, what do we see that happens next? We see a providential protection coming in where God actually twists the will of Gallio, the proconsul, into Paul's favor. He gets divine protection and supernatural justice. And the <laughs> You know, the, the, I don't know if this is God's humor or not, but who gets beaten? <laughs> I mean, it's just, if you paid attention, somebody got a beaten and it was, uh, it was the guy that drug him into court. Gallagher says, ah, much like Pontius Pilate, right? Much like, it's almost like the same type of attitude. It's like, like, this is not my problem. I've got better things to do than get into a religious argument with you guys. I'm not the mediator of this. You guys figure it out and leave me alone. And by the way, go beat that guy up. (laughs) And it's like, and we don't, then it says they all beat him up. So we're not quite sure who they all were that that participated in the, you know, the public beating. But, um, you know, they all beat him. So anyway, Um, we see God coming into a secular environment and providing supernatural protection for Paul. Isn't that amazing? Does it happen all the time? No. Should it? I don't know. But what I'm saying is, Paul was faithful enough, even in the midst of his despair, even in the midst of his burnout, to be able to listen to the God's voice and to be able to resonate with God's promises. And he had that much going for him, at least at this point in his life. Okay. So God directs us. This is the next section of your outline. God's, God's direction that we must learn and do. And again, this is all in, in these little verses that we're looking at. So in, in verse 5, God says, you've got to continue to do something. All right. Uh, so the first point is, don't stop doing. See, the tendency when you fall into burnout and you're, you're exhausted and you're tired is that you just want to quit. You want to stop. You're, you're at your wits end and, and, and you just want to stop. Um, Jesus says, don't stop speaking. Why does Jesus say that? Because Paul wanted to stop speaking. He was done. He, was, he wanted to check out. He wanted to give up. And Jesus says, don't stop doing stuff. No, 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 no. no. I know you're tired. I know you're burnt out. I know you don't want to do this anymore, but don't stop doing. Don't stop doing. Once you stop doing, you're going to lose your momentum. You're going to lose whatever work that I've done in you. Don't stop. Continue speaking. So this goes for you that have been working, that is serving the Lord for years. Don't stop doing the last thing that God's told you to do. I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. I'm so confused. Well, God's not the author of confusion, So if you're confused about the direction of your life, you need to go back to the last thing that God told you to do and and keep doing it. Keep doing it. If you don't have a vision for the next direction in your life, um, you you will adopt a lie and follow a lie instead of a vision. So continue to do the last thing he told you to do. Don't stop doing stuff. All right? The next thing that we got to do is we have to continue to remember our testimonies. This gets back to, you know, the little water bottle sk- skit that we watched. You know, we, we just take for granted God's provisions. Even like the, you know, okay, you know, we, the, the whole thing was, you know, show me something big. Okay, I don't know about you, but God has shown me something big in my past. Big huge. Like, mind-boggling. Like, I can't intellectually get my mind around what God did. But for some strange reason, I've forgotten about it. Like, I don't give God glory for that anymore. It's like a distant memory. It's so far back there, I don't even know if it was real. Do you ever, you ever lose track of your provisions and your miracles in your life? Do you ever lose track of what God's done, and you quit giving Him praise? That like, the Jews, the Jews knew this well. They said, you need to teach your kids. You need to, you need to grind it into their little minds that God has provided a miracle for them. He has delivered them from slavery from the Egyptians. And you need to bind it onto their hands and you need to bind it onto their heads in a black little annoying box right here on top of their head so they don't forget what God has done. And all too often we forget what God has done. And then we say stuff, don't you, don't you really care about me anymore? Can't you do another one? And, 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 and all around us, God is doing stuff. And Jesus, in this verse, he says, For I am with you. And the emphasis is on the word for, a very simple word. But you know, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, the way that it's fleshed out, it's not just for, but it's more like, the way that it should come across is remember that I am with you is what it ought to be. It's a command. It's a command. We have to remember what God has done in our lives. Don't forget about it. Don't quit giving praise to God for the miracles. Do Do you know what worship is when we come in? Worship, praise and worship, that is your opportunity to repent and to remember the blessings that God has given you your entire life. If you can't worship and be thankful for something that God has done for you, guess what? You're not not worshiping. You're being entertained. You're liking the music. Right? The worship is for God. It's not for us. So we have to remember our miracles. And then the next last point is that we have to... Not only do we have to have this divine... This divine vision, but we also have to have the ability to see, and there's a difference. You have to have the ability to see what is around you. You have to open up your eyes to see the little things that God is doing. And, and when Jesus says, you know, Paul, don't be afraid, for I am with you, and he says something else. I have my people in this God-forsaken city, and you don't see them. All you see is a bunch of enemies. That is all you see right now. Everybody is against you, nobody is for you. You're going downhill fast. And I'm telling you right now, I have my people in this Godforsaken city and need to open up your eyes so that you can see them. When we fall into burnout, and despair and frustration and we're tired and we become numb to the things that God does now the problem is is that in that burnout mode our vision just it gets it's tunnel vision and all that we're able to focus on are all these little negative things that's driving us crazy and we don't have the ability to see the peripheries and to see what God is actually doing. And all Jesus is saying, he's saying, Paul, pay attention to what is going on around you. It's not as bad as you think that it is. I have my people in this city. Here's the key. This is what Paul does that we don't do. Or maybe some of us do, but not all of us do this. Um, As I finish this last point, if I could have the band and the ushers to come to the front. This is what Paul does that we don't do. See, Jesus meets Paul in a place that is, it's just him and Jesus. He creates, Paul allows for an environment where him and Jesus can talk. Where him and Jesus can be in communion together. Where See, Paul literally creates an environment where Jesus can minister to him. This is the key. This is the secret to the whole thing. This is what separates Paul from everybody else and maybe even you and me. Is that Paul made a place where he could hear Jesus' voice. Even in the midst of his burnout, depression, and despair, he still had that special place, that special time where Jesus could speak to him. It's where he could see friends coming around and supporting him. It's where he had the courage to quit straddling between ministry and and work and where he was able just to jump all in, go all out. It is from this point where he was able to, to open up and see all the possibilities that were around him. He cultivated an intimate relationship with Jesus where Jesus could minister to him. And it was from that place that he was able to gain a supernatural confidence in who he was to continue his ministry, to go on to bigger and greater things after a long, hard season of being a burnout vet. And we have that available for us too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for, again, once again, all of those that have served our country and those that have died for our country that have stood in our place. And I pray that that very simple thing, that that will resonate for us on a spiritual level too. And we know that you stood in our place. And God, I pray that uh, for all of those God, for those those seasoned saints, the the vets that have been serving the Lord for years, that are are tired and they're burnt out and they're numb to the blessings of God, I pray that, that they would receive a freshly spoken word from the Lord this week, if not today. That there would be a freshly spoken word. That the scriptures would become alive for them. God, I pray for those that have never walked with the Lord. I pray that this message would draw them into something bigger and something deeper and and more meaning and more purpose for their life and that they would be encouraged that we have the greatest advocate in the world on our side. Somebody that will turn back the hand of the accusers, that will supernaturally step in and provide providential protection for the situations that we're in, supernatural healings, emotional healings, all of it, God. So I pray that this this message would draw them today. And God, I pray that we will have the best fellowship our church has ever had today. I pray that we will enjoy each other's presence, we will be encouraged by each other, that there won't be a negative, nasty word spoken today. But every every word that comes from our lips will be one of praise and one of encouragement for one another in love. So God, help us to celebrate in style today. We love you. Amen.